Hello, and welcome to the Slingshot Group podcast, where we tackle the leadership topics everyone is thinking about, but no one is talking about. In today's episode, we'll explore the topic of being terminated from staff. And now, let's join our hosts for today's episode. Well, welcome everybody to the uh, Slingshot Podcast. I am Vance Martin. I'm here with my two friends, Keith and David. What's up, fellas? What's up, man? Uh, We're talking about a fun topic that everybody knows and loves, getting canned. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Raise your hand if you're in this room and you have been fired. Oh, okay. yeah. You, you, you guys can't see because this is a podcast, but um, we all have our hands up. We've all been fired. Uh, David, you just told a story. I've heard you tell this story before. Uh, this is not... You've got some great stories about it. You were fired. But there's yeah. a story of a friend that you know that recently got fired from a church and you had a conversation. You need to tell us about that. Yeah, no, I, I would love to. I, I, was, I was actually hanging out recently with a buddy, um, become a friend over the years and we're hanging out at a conference and he's been recently let go. And he basically, um, he was telling me in that moment, he's like, dude, I feel like less of a person. Like, like everything about uh, who I thought I was supposed to be was wrapped up in this job that I had at this church and they let me go. And I just don't feel like I'm a good dude anymore. I mean, like, like I'm valuable anymore. And, and so it shower makes you not want to take a shower for like, yeah, it does. It's, I mean, it's, it's the equivalent it of sucks. being dumped, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's the breakup. Absolutely that all of a sudden you're just like, wow, I thought we were in love and I guess we're not. And so uh, I asked him a question. I just said, you know, hey man, tell me three pastors that have been fired that you look up to. And he just paused and he kind of gave me this blank stare and he's trying to think of who that is. And he just said, man, I'll be honest with you. I can only think of one. And he tells me the story of this one pastor. And I said, well, let me, let me tell you this, man, that's, that's actually the problem is that uh, I can tell you the stories because of the work that, that I do at Slingshot Group. I can tell you the stories of, of dozens and dozens of incredible pastors who have been fired from their churches, but we don't talk about it enough in order for people like you who have just been let go to have a little bit of solace and understanding that you're not the only one. Yeah, we. I mean, because we, we we hear about it all the time, right? Because we talk to people that are in transition that have just been fired. We hear the stories every day. So if you're out there and you got fired, it's all right. You're yeah, good. or the churches who who have done the firing. I mean, again, we're we're on both sides of that equation, and it's just uh, to normalize the conversation. I think is going to be a really big deal. Yeah. So why do you think there's so much stigma attached to it? To this idea that we get fired, that we get dude, it's. It's failure. It's, it's a hit to our ego. It's like being kicked in the gut. Like, I thought I could do this job. And now I've just discovered that I cannot. Mm. Yeah. That's, I, that's, I think it's an ego thing. I, I think that identity gets wrapped up in, especially ministry. You know, I mean, I, I, I've told you guys the story of, of me being fired from Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory when I was 15 years old. I mean, that, that, that was devastating in itself. I felt like a total failure. And it was completely justified that they had fired me from that job. But there was something about it that it felt like loss in the moment. Oh, well, well, hold on. You just like totally skipped over. <laughs> it's like, I was at Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory. I got fired. Uh, yeah. You need to tell everybody why you got fired, David. 
Well, okay. So, so to set the tone a little bit, if you've ever been to Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory, um, they have that person who is making the chocolate, making the fudge, making the caramel apples that's in the front of the store that's supposed to entice everybody to come in. Well, that was my role. I had the, the giant spatula and I was making uh, uh, the, the, the caramel apples that day. And uh, this particular Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory was in San Diego and it was right by the water. And so a buddy of mine came and said, man, the waves are really, I mean, this feels like a fast times at Ridgemont high, like, like the spook could be written into a movie. Oh my gosh. But he's he's like, he's like, Hey man, the waves are really kicking right now. You've got to come and surf. And so a couple of us from the store, the, the manager wasn't there. And so we left to go surf during the day. It was slow. Uh, and by the time we got back, the manager was there waiting for us at the door and said, don't even come in. All three of you are let go. <laughs> and so, so that was it. I mean, just walked away, completely rejected in the moment. Absolutely justified in letting us go for sure. But still, that's a, such a hit to the ego. And I think that there are so many people that have experienced that, but we hold it so close to the vest that we, we have to be able to, to really have a lot more of that conversation so that we realize we're not alone. One thing too to, that, that I've experienced, I've been on both sides of the desk on this one <laughs> and uh, getting fired is tough, but I think being the one doing the firing might be harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about that, man. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. So, um, I, sadly I've had to let several different people go and there's different circumstances, right? There's there. I remember one hire specifically, this is after round after round after round of just, we cannot get on the same page and it's either you or me, but something is going to change here. And, uh, you know, letting that person go, I remember them leaving and that one, it's it still, it here leading up to it. I was looking forward to it. I was like, I am ready for this person to be done. It's about to go down. It is going down. It was like that. It was after it happened, I was crushed. Hmm. Like it was a total, the, 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 the gravity of what had just done. This person did not see it coming. You think they did, but that's part of the reason why they got fired. They didn't see it coming, mm-hmm. um, but it's heavy. And then I've also been in a room where I had four people that I had let go at the same time. We were doing a reduction in force, reorg, and I had to tell four people at one time, your jobs are no longer, you know, we're, we're, your, your job no longer exists here. Hmm. Uh, and, and that was, those were under good circumstances. Like these are people that I loved. So these people did nothing wrong. And as mm. a leader, I still had to fire them. Mm. Uh, I've kind of experienced this through my dad too. Uh, this is, this one's kind of funny. So he had a, my dad was a lead pastor, had an associate pastor that he had to let go. He was being insubordinate. It was not, it was, it was ugly. We had a Christian school as well. And obviously Christian school doesn't mean Christian. Right, like sure. the kids and the parents don't mean Christians. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, we called this rally like at the end of school. My dad had to let him go. Well, we had to communicate this to everybody, mm-hmm. and so the next day we kind of sent a notice. There's going to be a town hall type meeting for my dad to make this announcement to tell everybody that he had let this person go. And so as my dad is saying it, some of the people, some of the parents stood up. 
and we're asking questions like, who do you think you are firing? Oh. And my dad was like, well, I'm kind of the boss. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we can't, I can't tell you why. And that's because we're like, why did you do it? And of course, what do their kids do in response? Their kids started running through the hallways and turn toppling over the lockers that no. were in the, yeah, there, it was, it was complete revelry. So <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the best it day was, of school ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally, yeah. Not for, your, uh, not for your dad. Christian, Christian, Christian school there. We, oh my we, gosh. I, I, I have Christian. the like, in the back of my mind as you tell that story, it's like that, we're not gonna take it. No, no, we ain't gonna take it. Like it is like lockers hitting the floor. That sounds awesome. Keith, have you ever been fired? Have I ever been fired? Yeah, yes. tell us about it. First time I was fired, I was 15. I was working in a restaurant. And, um, well, how do I say this? I was somewhat of a degenerate when I was a teenager. So um, on this one occasion, a couple buddies um, who were also working as busboys at this really nice restaurant, we were just clowning all day, every day. And so uh, when we'd go to work, we'd take, you know, extra long breaks or we try to skip out on the tail end of a shift. And in this one particular instance, uh, me and two of the guys that I worked with, um, both like sophomores in high school, we snuck out during one of our shifts and uh, there was this little lake behind the restaurant, this beautiful scenery. And we were just going for a walk. And one of my buddies pulled out a pack of cigarettes and we started lighting up and we're just walking around this lake smoking and not realizing that there's a party of people, about a hundred people that are sitting in this all glass room. It's part of the restaurant. <laughs> and so they're literally sitting there. You watching. work at the restaurant, Keith. Yeah. You don't know there's an entire glass room at the restaurant you work at? I didn't know it was filled because there were multiple seating That's areas. Awesome. We thought that particular you know, venue in the restaurant was closed down, but it was actually open. And so the owner of the restaurant comes out and fires us all right there on the spot as we're smoking cigarettes. And so um, that story actually has a better ending um, because I learned something through that process. Getting fired was, um, it was devastating, um, even though I totally deserved it like you, David. Um, I feel like we would have been friends at 15 years old. We would be like great buddies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would know. not have been friends with you guys, though. Yeah, my parents, your parents wouldn't have let you hang out. <laughs> I totally would not have been. I've still, I am uh, almost forty and never smoked a cigarette. Still, so well, all the not kids that hung out with me in high school, like you, had to lie about it. So that's great. Um, but no, but then eventually, literally three years later, um, my, you know, toward the end of my senior year in high school, I actually went back to that restaurant and got a job. Um, and started working in the kitchen, got another chance, another opportunity. And um, it was really cool. So I ended up going back to work for that same boss and, and kind of went in and said, give me another shot. Um, and that restaurant job was the thing that eventually uh, I went on to college and got another job in a restaurant based on his recommendation. So it was really a cool redemptive thing um, in the end. But I think I had to learn something from that painful experience. Yeah, totally. That's, that's the cool thing about God, right? We, in the most painful experiences of life, I think there's that thin space where we experience God the most. I remember after getting fired um, from my, again, that was working with my dad. My dad got fired from this church job and I was his associate, like assistant. So I, I kind of got fired by 
association. Um, and I remember just as I, I was a teenager at this point, we would just go home. Like we didn't have a job to go to. We'd just wake up in the morning and sit in our living room and we'd rehash it and we'd talk through it. Hmm. And we were always trying to chase the why, right? Like always trying, like doing the, we're doing the autopsy on what the heck went wrong. Um, so as you guys have been fired and I know, like I said, talking with people through Slingshot Group, people that are in transition, they, what do you tell somebody that's in that moment? I've just been fired from keeping going down that negative train of dejection, failure. Like how do you, how do you, how do you help people keep it between the lines? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I know we've all heard um, our co-founder Stan Endicott say um, is that the greatest thing that can ever happen to you is to get fired from a job. And um, I don't, I don't know, you know, the first time I heard Stan say that, I thought it's kind of scary. Cool. Like, what do you mean, man? What are you trying yeah, to say? Yeah, you don't want to hear your boss say, Hey, the greatest thing that can happen to you is that you get fired from your job. You don't want that to happen. But, but there is something about that. Um, I think if we take that time to reflect, and that's the space that we often get to walk with candidates in is that space after um, it's happened, whether fired or let go for whatever reason. And so I think it's what we learn in that space that really determines how well we're going to come out on the other side. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Keith. I, I think for me, I really encourage people to embrace the different stages of grief. I mean, there is something to um, feeling uh, betrayed or something to feeling completely let down in that moment that it's just like, no, that's true. Like you can feel that. Yep. Like that, that, that that's a valid feeling to have that in that moment. Because, you know, it, we know as coaches in what we do is never the right thing to be like, hey, well, cool, we'll get over it and let's get to the, to the good part where you learn something, right? Like that's not the way that learning works. So you have to let them feel the way that they're feeling in that moment. And then just be constantly asking questions and encouraging that individual forward. Again, that's that conversation with the pastor at the conference uh, last week. It is very much about, um, hey, well, well, who else do you know? Or do you feel alone? Like normalizing it to some level will allow that person to move forward and not just sit in it forever. So I think encouraging someone not to sit in it forever is is the major thing there. And how can this, you know, it's it like you said, it's don't don't ever say you shouldn't be upset. You shouldn't be sad. Like it's okay yeah. to be sad. It's okay to grieve. It's okay. This is like you, you it's like a like you said, it's a breakup. Yeah. Um, It'd be weird if you didn't feel that way. Yeah. It would totally feel that way. Um, and sometimes also, you know, once you can get to that point is doing some self-introspection as whether you feel like you were wronged or not, what can I learn from this? Right. What what positives can I take from this? But maybe not starting there. Like just just be upset, and it's okay to be to be mad. And that's yep. why I love like in our can like tell to tell the people that are in transition. Hey, be mad with me. You know, like vent yep. vent to me, talk mm-hmm. to me about it, uh, and then and then move into it's the stages of grief, like you said, David. It's it's so it's so big. But the cool thing is we've all lived through it. We've all, we've all been fired from jobs and churches. And let's look at us. People are listening to our podcast. So, you know, I mean, that's, <laughs> you, you, we've reached the pinnacle now. Mission accomplished. This, this is it? This is the pinnacle? 
But hey, hey, hate to bring it to you, but we're in the in crowd now. We have a podcast. So, I mean, I know my daughters are going to get married at some point, but on their wedding day, I'm going to be like, you know what, babe? I had a podcast. That's so, right. That's this right. Is a great day, but well, uh, we've got an awesome guest that's going to dive into this a little bit more, and I think hopefully bring some some insights into how do we approach this as leaders? How do we fire people? And uh, how do we walk through this after we've been fired? So fun stuff. I think we, I think we, for as morbid a topic as this is, I think we made it fun. This is, this is you, you guys are awesome. I love you all. And uh, let's jump into the interview. I recently had the opportunity to sit down with Ken Baugh. Now, Ken Baugh is a pastor, he's a writer, he is the CEO of the Institute for Discipleship Training and just an all-around awesome, awesome leader. Uh, he tells a little bit of his story about uh, being let go from his church and, and how that affected him, how he has healed from that and gotten through that part of his journey. And I am so excited for you to get some of the tips from his own story and from how he uh, trains and coaches leaders that have gone through a similar experience. Why don't you sit back and, and listen in on this uh, intimate and powerful conversation that I had with Ken. Ken, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. We're, we're talking about uh, being let go. And I know, uh, knowing a little bit of your story, um, that I, I kind of want to dive in. I want to hear some more of your story. I want to look at this topic from a couple lenses with you, one from the lens of, of what's happened with you and then really how you're helping people um, navigate some of this stuff today. And so could you walk us through a little bit of your story? Yeah. Well, it's great. It's great being with you, David, and I appreciate the opportunity. You know, the first thing that I think is important to establish is that this is all about perspective. So I have my perspective. Yeah. I'm sure the elders, if they were sitting here, have their perspective. Absolutely. And we tend to think that our perspective is the right one. Mm -hmm. But as I talk through that, I just wanted to kind of start with that as a disclaimer. Yeah, that's great. But I was the uh, senior pastor at a, at a large uh, local church here in Southern California and was there for 10 and a half years really felt as God was kind of leading. I was, I succeeded the founding pastor, so that has its own unique dynamics to it. Yeah, it does. But frankly, that, that process, I think, went pretty well compared to how some of those can go. The founding pastor was great at letting go mm -hmm. and I think had done everything that he could to set that transition up well mm -hmm. and really empowered me and encouraged me in that process. So... He and his wife, they were, they were awesome. The, probably the, the biggest, the problem started when I really started taking the church in the direction that I thought God was leading me in, and which is really just making an emphasis of what, what is discipleship. Mm. What does that really look like? It was a fairly seeker-oriented church from its inception. And while that has great attributes, a lot sure. of people coming to Christ, the, the general congregant really was at a level of maturity that the search committee and the elder board, when they were looking for the next senior pastor, wanted to address that and mm. take that, uh, that up a notch or two. And I would say even the founding pastor uh, wanted to do that. He was an evangelist. He was really good at that. He knew that. 
And he was very open to uh, my coming in and, and doing that. But transitions are, are difficult, so I wanted to take time, let that kind of set in, hmm. get to know people, build relationships. You know, we had yeah. come from Virginia. We'd been in Virginia for almost 11 years at a church there. We're from Southern California. Okay. So I needed to kind of re, uh, get reacquainted with culture and changes and all that kind of stuff. So I really tried to be take my time in bringing about that change. Once we started down that road, though, uh, my understanding of discipleship and uh, the Board of Elders' understanding uh, was pretty different. Mm. And the aspects of spiritual formation, of soul care, of uh, some of the uh, misunderstandings that go around that really became contentious. Mm -hmm. And over a period of years, the conflict that that brought on and uh, the, the, the way that I am wired, it just, it just wore me out. So really my termination was the result of burnout. Mm. And it was a pretty life-changing experience in both negative and positive ways, which certainly we can talk about. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, and, and so talk a little bit about, um, as you are processing in that moment uh, this role that kind of is, 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 is definitive, it's a definer within so many of us within pastoral ministry, right? I mean, when you get let go from a church, it's not just getting let, let go from a, a job. It's not like I was at the bank and now I'm going to go work at another bank or I'm going to go find some other career. It's you're losing your 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 support system you're you're losing your small group you're losing i mean there's this this identity that is found in that and so talk a little bit about how that functioned with you where um how did it affect self-worth how did it affect identity as that was coming to a close i've often likened this to a death and a divorce at mm. the same time interesting because you're right it is your family, your friends, your community, your church. It's much more than just a job. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's job aspects to it. But I think that's one of the things that makes it difficult for uh, people that aren't in full-time ministry. They don't understand that. Right. You know, in a, in a corporation, if the CEO is not cutting it, then you get a new CEO. Totally. In a church, to bring in a new senior pastor there's a dynamic of you're bringing in a new dad, basically. Hmm. And that is a very touchy, difficult situation that requires a great deal of grace and finesse and process. And that was what I think was really lacking in my situation was there was just, there was very little process. And the process that did ensue was very difficult and it, it just confused people off the mm. charts and created a blast radius around the decision mm. that I don't think needed to happen. Sure. Talk about, I mean, that's such an interesting term that, you know, as you say, blast radius, talk a little bit about that. So that moves beyond um, how it affects you and even your immediate circle. But now, uh, you know, that makes me think about how it affects, you know, everyone who's a part of the church staff, attenders, you know, talk a little bit more about that. So there's, there's this thing called vicarious trauma. 
that when somebody goes through a trauma and you witness it or a part of it, if you have a relationship with that person, you're going to take on a degree of that trauma. Yeah. And if there's if there's not an, a, an effective way of processing through that, it, it metastasizes and it becomes toxic. Mm. So in my process, the elders let me go on a Wednesday night and said they wanted to make the announcement that weekend. Wow. And I asked them if they could just give me a week to process this because my whole world had been just turned upside down. Yeah. They felt like it was better to not do that, but to do it immediately. And I told them that I can't do that. Hmm. I said, first of all, I'm just going to stand up there and cry the whole time. That's not going to make this look good. Sure. They gave me the option to resign. So I want to be clear about that. Yeah. But the way that this played itself out and was going down, I, I didn't feel like I could stand in front of the congregation with integrity and give them this line that, oh, God's calling us to a new ministry and this is, you know, this is a situation where we all agree and sure. yada, yada, yada. I just, I couldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Yep. And, uh, you know, the elders hadn't thought through that to that degree, so it wasn't like they were... Uh, wanting me to give false pretense by any right. means, but that's just the, I didn't know how else that was going to play. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a part of that. So then they terminated me without cause. And so that's just something that you, as a pastor, you just never think is going to happen to you. You hear about this kind of stuff right. that happens, but it's like that happens to other guys. That doesn't happen to me. Yeah. And it, it not only creates a problem in the, in that present situation, but it, whatever is unresolved in your own heart and life, and we all have our stuff and is processed and resolved to certain degrees, mm. but the stuff that's kind of, in the, kind of in the bottom of the heart, so to speak, that there's this kind of layer of sludge down there, yeah. that uh, a trauma of this magnitude just stirs up the whole thing. So if you're, the water in your life is murky, now it's completely wow. uh, black. Sure. So you're dealing with the current situation, the fear, you know, getting fired as a senior pastor is not a great career move. Sure. It doesn't look good on a resume. Right. And, you know, all things being equal, if you're a search committee and you're looking at two candidates and they're fairly equal in their experience and, and giftedness and capacity, yep. you're probably going to go with the guy that didn't get fired, even if it, you know... It's understandable, and I just there's just too much noise around it. I yeah. get that, but again, I just you can call it self righteousness, you can call it naivete, you can call it stupidity, mm. uh, but it 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 created a situation for me and for my family that was very tenuous. And so, not only does it attack your identity, it stirs up all this shame that's mm. you know going on in your life because the thing about being a pastor is that if you have a thousand people in your congregation, you have a thousand opinions hmm. and the criticism and the feedback unsolicited that you get over the years, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. And so it's not any one of those things or even any one of those conflicts with it, with the elders or different situations, but it's the aggregate of all of that. Right. And over the years, that's what you. That's how you bleed out. Because it's very personal. Very. Personal. You know, again, if if you don't like the product that I put out because I'm at this company, I don't necessarily t take that personally. If you don't like the what I'm wearing when I'm preaching, or the way we do small groups, or this thing that I've dedicated my life to, 
that all of a sudden is it, it, it it's no longer about your opinion and, and and someone else has a different opinion. Now you're attacking me, not yes. just the the product that I put out. And there's something that I don't think the average attender realizes that. And because most elders haven't been on staff at the church, I don't think most elders even totally realize that. No, I don't think they do either. And I don't think most elders realized the dynamic between ministry and business. Mm. And yes, there's aspects of ministry that are business, but business can never start wagging the tail. Mm -hmm. And every church has a unique balance of those dynamics that go on. But most of our boards are made up of businessmen. And these are well-intentioned men. They sacrifice a lot of time and sacrifice, uh, you know, resources and uh, all, all other kind of things. Absolutely. And we great and we appreciate it and we value that. Mm-hmm. But I've noticed there's this switch that goes on. I can, like, I can have a, a guy that I know pretty well, I've spent a lot of time with, and he's a successful businessman or an attorney or something of that fact. And he appears to be one way, but when he gets on a board and feels this sense of responsibility, sure, it it changes him. Mm. And all of a sudden now there's this different person that you're interacting with and it's mm-hmm. it's bizarre. And I found that happen a number of times, even yeah. with sadly some of the guys that were on the board. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's big. I um, you know, part of the the reason that we really wanted to dive into this episode, and I, I got a chance to talk to you a little bit earlier about this, is that uh, I, I had a good friend, and so now we're coming from the vantage point of, of a lead or senior pastor um, being let go, but I, I have a good friend who was a youth pastor. He was recently let go from his church, and in the midst of all of the, um, the things going on in his world and the support that he was receiving, and you know, he came up to me recently and said, man, I feel like I'm less of a person. I feel like I've lost so much in this. And as a way of what I thought was going to be encouraging to him, I said, man, tell me four people that you look up to who, who you know have been fired. And he just went blank. And he said, you know what, man, I, I honestly can't think of, I can only think of one. I can only think of one person. And because of my vantage point being a part of Slingshot Group and seeing so many transitions, you know, I'm like, man, I, I feel like I can name a, a, a ton of them for you, you know, and, and, and started thinking through it. And so the, the beginning of this episode, when we were coming up with it, uh, the first thought was, let's get a bunch of people telling snippets of their story of being let go from their role. And let's really kind of, instead of going deeper into, into one, which obviously this is, and this is really big and good, it was like, let's, let's normalize it even more by getting a lot of people talking about it. And here's what I found. I, I, was, uh, I've, I talked to 10 people about uh, doing interviews around you know, being let go and what their experience is. And all uh, nine of the 10 signed NDAs. They, you, talk a little, you talked a little bit about the process that, you know, and, and where you're saying, um, you know, hey, they didn't want me to have false pretense that, you know, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a smooth, hey, I'm moving on to this other thing and here's why it's good for everyone that this is happening. And, but that normally is what we hear, the average attender and the average leader that's out there that is hearing, um, oh man, yeah, this person moved on and it's good for everyone that they moved on. And so then, so for my friend, when he found himself having to move on and it wasn't good for him, it didn't feel right. He had no one to point to, to say, 
um, well, I now know their story and, and it's now been normalized for me. There is life after this. You, um, first by doing interviews like this and you've done a few and we'll put some of the links um, to some of the places that you've talked about your story and so you've been able to do that to help normalize the conversation but you also have this really inter- interesting vantage point where you have you're working with leaders and pastors who um, are going through something that just you don't want to walk through alone and some of them um, it's it's about being let go what what are some of the the major pieces of advice um, what are some of the, the things that you talk them through to help them process as they're walking through it yeah wow that's just hearing the statistics of that is really discouraging oh uh, it was it was shocking to me by yeah. the way I mean I thought these are people that I've known forever I'm like oh they'll obviously talk to me about this these were not strangers. And all of them to a person said, this needs to be talked about. I wish I could talk about it. If we can make it general enough, then I can talk about the principle of it. But I cannot tell my story of what happened in ministry and how it was handled and how I handled it. And, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it was fascinating to yeah. sit in that. So, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think is important is the emotional health of spiritual leadership is not something that is even addressed in mm. seminary. Mm. I think it's better today than it has been when I was in seminary, you know, 25 years ago. But unresolved, unresolved stuff, unresolved issues. And ministry is, ministry, one of the difficulties of ministry is, like I said, you're dealing with criticism all the time. Mm-hmm. Most pastors that I know, they don't have a super thick skin. They're pretty tender-hearted guys you sure. know, and gals that that love God, love people, want to teach the word, want to, you know, want to help people grow in Christ. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the ambition of your, you know, local uh, church leader. Yeah. And having to deal with the level of conflict and sometimes the jealousy and the animosity mm. that comes, it, it just, it's, it's very disheartening. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, it's happening more and more and more. And I think, especially in our day, you've got a lot of senior pastors now that boards want to transition you out to bring in a younger person sure, to reach younger families, to reach mm. that younger generation. And I get all of that. But we need to normalize, I think, the emotional health of leadership, especially senior leadership. That's good. And I think the way, one way to do that is just for boards to understand that your pastor needs a safe person to process, to process with. Yeah. And you're, that pastor is not a perfect person. They have a past. They have struggles. They have, you know, family challenges. And you, you, you guys need, as a board uh, and gals, need to think about their benefit package, if you will, to include... Uh, monthly spiritual direction or monthly Mm. therapy or something that gives them the opportunity to have a place outside of the system to just talk through stuff, to just process stuff. Because even if it's not something that's going on in the church family, stuff can get triggered in us all the time. Mm -hmm. And you're on a, especially when you're a senior pastor and you're in in a teaching role constantly, you know, you're constantly living with the tension of what you're preaching you're not living out 100%. It's impossible. Sure. 
And so you do the best you can. You want your, your, your sermons to come out of your life. And in order to keep all that stuff fresh and current, you've got to be paying attention to things. But uh, it's really easy to just get good at that yeah. and then become a professional speaker as opposed to a shepherd. Mm-hmm. And I, I would love to see, and part of the ministry that I'm currently even thinking through, uh, in addition to what I'm already doing, is to, to work with organizations to normalize this process yeah. that we can provide the resources for, for church boards and such. And let's say, let's say you've got a, a pastor who's 60, 65 years old transitioning out of uh, that local church ministry the wealth of knowledge that person has who could be a mentor to 10 or 15 other pastors absolutely that could be a part of this network mm-hmm. that could supplement their income even in the in a retirement scenario or it could just be something that you know they build on and, and grow a consulting you know mentoring ministry which is in essence what I'm doing now mm-hmm. but when you get fired uh, from your uh, pastorate you don't know what else to do that's all you know how to do for most of the most people right uh, one of the organizations I work with is called uh, Soul Shepherding. And uh, Dr. Uh, Bill Galtier and his wife, Christy, they're both psychologists. And they work almost exclusively with church leaders, uh, basically who go through what I went through. Okay. So they were a huge part of my healing process and continue to be. He, Bill continues to be a mentor uh, to me in, a lot of, in a, lot of, uh, a lot of ways. And so... You know, it's it's a it's a growing process that really enables us to grow spiritually and emotionally. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can separate those two things. Yeah, and I think we have to normalize emotional health as part of the discipleship process, not just for leadership but for the congregation. Absolutely. Well, and and I think that most leaders. This is this is just my thought. Um, most leaders don't prioritize emotional health because we don't feel like we're allowed to. Right. Um, we're supposed to be above that. Uh, whatever that is uh, in someone's mind, we're supposed to be above that. And whether it's that people put us there and we start buying our own hype or, or we just feel like, man, if people actually knew uh, what was happening in my world, they wouldn't come to my church or they wouldn't be a part of uh, my ministry or whatever that is. And so, man, we, I, I have witnessed, and even in my own life, it just being stuffed down more and more and more. And what you said earlier, you know, if, if, the, if the water is gray, you know, then, then after something like this happens, it is just, it is, it is muddy. I mean, it is just black and there's something, um, so real for us to try and understand that. And so I, I wonder for you, um, right now, there's somebody listening to to this that has just been let go. They were on staff. They were a worship leader. They were a lead pastor. They were the youth director. They were, they had some role and, and that role defined them in so many ways. Um, what do you say to them as that next, you know, kind of that first next step as they're processing what had just happened? You're not alone. It's good. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the, um, that's the challenge with signing a non-disclosure is you feel like you're the only person out that this has ever happened to. Yes. So it just creates this shame fest that I think the enemy just grinds you into the, into the pavement with. That's interesting. Not only does the non-disclosure uh, affect that nobody else knows, but you feel isolated as the person that it just happened to you because you're not really allowed to tell your story. Yeah. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about shame it that way. Shame multiplies in secrecy. Interesting. And so when you expose that shame to the light, and shame in essence is just 
I'm not blank enough. Whatever you put in that yeah. blank, you know, I'm, I wasn't a good enough pastor to make it. I wasn't sure. a good enough preacher. I what I couldn't grow the church. Whatever it is, right? Whatever you put in that blank, that's shame. And mm-hmm. so, being terminated triggers a shame response. Mm-hmm. Uh, the secrecy of a non-disclosure embeds that, and now you're isolated, which is exactly where the enemy wants us because that's where he attacks us, where we're most vulnerable. Yeah. That's where he attacked Jesus in the wilderness when he was alone. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's just, we're, it's, so, it's so inconsistent for me to have a church board with a pastor, especially in my situation. I've been there 10 and a half years. Mm. The, board was, the board had the authority because of the way that our church polity was to make those decisions without the congregation. If it would have gone to a congregational vote, I'd still be there. I'm confident of that. Interesting. Here's the other thing, too. If the church had been growing and money was strong yep. and we were rocking and rolling, I would still be there. Sure. So at the end of the day, you start going through this stuff in your yeah. head thinking it's all about my performance. Yes. So it was, I just wasn't good enough. So as someone who just was let go, you feel like you've been broadsided in an intersection by a semi. Yeah. That's how it feels. Yes. And pastors by and large, take care of everybody else but themselves. Yes. We need, to, we need to learn how to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first and then everybody else around us. But mm-hmm. that's not how most pastors are wired. They're looking to put it on everybody else in the plane and then they're falling on the floor gasping for breath going, oh man, I neglected, that wasn't very smart, was it? So yeah. So that's, uh, that's an issue. There's a, it, you're in shock mm-hmm. initially. You don't believe this, this, this happened. Then you move to that that anger slash fear stage, right? Because anger often is a way of masking the fear. But the fear is, I got to get a job. What am I going to do? Mm. And sadly, most guys in that situation, most leaders that are in that um, senior role, whether you're a man or a woman, don't have a great severance situation. So yeah. you're lucky if you get a month or two. That was different in my situation. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. But it, it, you're in panic mode. So now you've got to provide for your family. You know, we don't get paid a ton of money. And right. so we don't have this huge savings, this nest egg that we can fall back on, right? Yeah. You didn't see it coming. So you weren't Absolutely squirreling it away it to coming. prepare for that moment. Right. So you're just in this fog of war, so to speak. Mm. And I don't know about you, but when I'm under that kind of stress, I don't make very good decisions. Sure. So... One of the things that I love about Slingshot and what you guys do is that, you know, you, you can come into a situation like that and walk with people mm. and help them process some of these things. Because here's what happens is that you got to get a job. All you know how to do is ministry. And so now what do you do? Most, most, most leaders leave their current town, which is all their support system, right? move out of state, mm-hmm. which frankly, there's some things that make that a lot easier Yes. And stay and put. Yeah. But you don't you don't have the time to to work through this and to uh, to heal, and you don't have time to actually see what your part in the process in the situation was. And I think that's a really important issue. I don't care yep. what the situation is. It's a two way street. Absolutely. It may be more one way than the other, but there's some culpability on my part. I could have handled myself a little differently in some mm-hmm. of those situations with those with the elders. I could have been a little smarter in. Uh, how I would uh, 
talk about spiritual formation and soul care that didn't freak, you know, really conservative, you know, people sure. out that, oh my gosh, we're going to become Catholic now and we're going to, you know, go down this road. I just, I just didn't think that through clearly enough. Mm. And so there's certainly some things that I could have done differently. Would it have created a different result? Probably not, mm. but maybe a different process. Sure. And the process is where the congregation gets caught in the gears. And that's what happened here. It's like in a divorce situation. It's the kids that get caught in the gear. Yes, it's painful for the husband yeah. and wife, of course. But the kids don't have the capacity as children to process what's going on without mm -hmm. blaming themselves for the situation. That's good. So I have that in my background. My parents divorced when I was five, so I get that. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a rejection. There's an abandonment. There's a, uh, there's a feeling judged and criticized. These are all the aspects uh, that attack us at our very core of who we are, which yeah. gets to that identity that you said. And the assumption is, and this is what I find with a lot of churches, the assumption is that, well, our pastors should know how to take care of them, themselves spiritually. Right. They don't. Hmm. Pastors do not know how to take care of their own souls. They were not taught how to do that, especially in the evangelical world. Now, like I said, it's better today because, you know, spiritual formation and soul care is becoming much more mainstream in seminary. But when I went to seminary, we had, we had nothing yeah. in that. So yeah. I, have, I have an MDiv with nothing in regard to spiritual formation and soul care. Wow. So the whole aspect, again, of emotional health is just absent from our discipleship today. And we have to change that or we're going to keep creating casualties, not just of leaders, right. but of congregations. Yes. The congregation, it was like a bomb went off in the congregation after this happened. Mm -hmm. we, had, uh, we had over five, 600 people walk out the door mm. and well over a million dollars in giving walk out the door. Wow. Just mainly because of process. Mm. Because they wouldn't buy the, con because the way this thing happened and the, 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 the quickness of the response, you know, they put me on sabbatical, I come back from sabbatical and I'm gone. Mm -hmm. Okay, that only happens if you committed adultery or embezzled money, right? Right. So it puts me in the absolute worst position possible. Totally. Which none of that happens. And frankly, most people didn't think that. Sure. I think most people feel like they knew me well enough to know that, that I wouldn't do that. Not that I... I couldn't mess up, but because we can all mess up. But sure. um, so it just didn't jive with people. Yeah. And the elders were trying to do damage control. You know, they're trying to keep people from leaving because it, it just creates this downward spiral. Yeah. So when you get terminated, you start processing all of this, getting back to your question. Mm -hmm. And then you start feeling responsible for it, yeah. which starts heaping on more shame. Because you've been responsible for so many other things, you must be responsible for this. Exactly. Right. And yes, there are things that we need to take responsibility for. Right. But my experience is that when a pastor is in that state of vulnerability, he's going to take on much more uh, than is his to take on or hers to take on. Yeah. And I think that's where the enemy comes in with his mm -hmm. lies, his accusations, his, his condemnation. And we can fight all that stuff in our head theologically, mm -hmm. but when, the un when we're undeveloped emotionally, we don't have the heart capacity to deal with that. And so mm -hmm. it creates this disconnect that results in 
major conflict yeah. internally. Yeah. Well, and so, you know, again, I'm, I, I have in mind that a lot of people that would seek out even an episode like this, not everyone that will listen will, you know, uh, have recently been let go, but I think some will be coming to this looking for that kind of drink of water. And I, I love a lot of what you just said there. What, what's that next practical thing? What's maybe some of the work that you're doing or some of the work that you've seen out there for the person who has just been let go and they're trying to, they want to unload some of that. They want to get into a healthy place. They're ready. Um, they want to get ready, honestly, to get back into the thing that they love. Because um, so many people that have been like, oh, they didn't do something that disqualifies them from from ministry. I mean, I think that we've allowed far too many things to disqualify us in some way. So they're ready to get back on a church staff or or, or back in a ministry of some kind. Um, what are the very practical things or the practical places that you would point them to? Yeah, well, one of the things is I would encourage those of you listening that that's something that's happened to you recently is to have realistic expectations. This is not something that you're going to get over. It's something that you have to get through, and there's that's a big good. difference. Getting through something requires relationships with others. You need people to journey with you on this. You cannot do this alone. Mm. This is an opportunity, and for me, it was an invitation into a deeper intimacy with God than that I would say over these last, so it'll be five years in this December, okay. that I don't think this is something I'm ever going to get over. Yeah. It's a scar. And like any scar that's healed, it doesn't cause you pain when you press on it, but you remember this situation when you look at it. And I really think that I will always walk with a limp mm. to a degree. Sure. And again, some of that was self-inflicted. But, but some of that was feeling like a victim. And that's, that's a practical thing that you have to be really careful of because it feels very unjust. You feel like you were victimized, and maybe you were. Right. But there comes a time where you have to work through that and work through the forgiveness process mm-hmm. and embrace the fact that God is sovereign. That was my saving grace in all of this. Yeah. Of all God's attributes, his sovereignty is the one that has brought me probably the most comfort in this, that at the end of the day, all things being equal, if God still wanted me to be the senior pastor of that church, I'd still be the senior pastor. Hmm. But we have free will. We can make choices. Right. Sometimes the choices other people make affect us as well, which happens in these cases. But God's still on the throne, and he's... He's going to work through this situation and bring about an outcome that you can't control, you can't foresee, uh, but it's going to happen. And that was something that different people that I processed this with, I remember one one guy in particular, in fact, I just was with him recently and mentioned this to him. This was a close friend of mine. And still, he still is. And he, I expected a lot of compassion and empathy from him when I approached him with this. This was like a day or two after this happened. And I didn't get it at all. And he said something to the effect of, he said, Ken, you're going to be okay with this. And I'm like, you know what? That's not what I need to hear right now. Sure. I need you to take my side. I need you to defend me. I need you to validate my feelings hmm. and yada, yada, yada. And it, it, it hurts because it felt insensitive. It felt like you didn't care. Hmm. And it was a little bit of a shock to me. So you're going to have different people in your life that are going to bring different things to the table. Yeah. But I abs- he absolutely believed what he said to me because of 
what he believed to be true about God, what he believed to be true about me, knowing mm-hmm. me as his friend. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, being that I remember that conversation five years later means right. that it had an impact on me. Yeah. But you got to seek that stuff out. You cannot isolate. That's one of the most practical things. You have to find people you can talk to, which there's organizations out there. Soul Shepherding is one that yeah. I, I work with. I'm an associate with them. I work with pastors. Uh, I've, I've worked with pastors over the last few years around the world uh, in just coaching, providing soul care, trying to do, trying to help bring emotional health to the forefront and soul care uh, to the forefront so that we can prevent some of these things from happening. Mm. It seems like, it seems like all the organizations that are out there, whether it's, you know, a week of intensive therapy, whether whatever it is, great sure. organizations, but they're always doing triage. They're always mm-hmm. after the fact. Mm-hmm. I want to get proactive. It's good. This is where I think elder boards can really step up and provide through some of these other organizations, a coaching relationship with this person, mm-hmm. uh, you know, spiritual director, whatever it is, um, to just provide a friend, just to provide that support. Yeah. And, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is uh, just a, a favorite for me just in emphasizing the fact that, uh, I'll just paraphrase it, that we go through things so that we can go through those things with others. Interesting. And I have an experience now that I that gives me the capacity to empathize and to understand mm-hmm. what another pastor or church leader goes through that I didn't have before. And, and you know what, David? I don't think we're talking specifically about termination because that's my story, but I've seen a very similar dynamic happen to staff that get laid off. Yes. There's just something that messes with you mm-hmm. getting laid off from a church that is you're being kicked out of the family. Right. It doesn't matter what role you are. So your friend who is a youth pastor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been a local church pastor for 25 years and I've been an associate senior pastor of a mega church and then a senior pastor of a very large church. And so I've had plenty of layoffs in my day. Yep. I've been on both sides of this table. Yes. And no matter how good you try to do that process, no matter how loving and no matter what the, what the rationale is, that we're going to go broke and the thing's gonna, we're going to have to close our doors. That's why we got to have this layoff. Yeah. You don't solve emotional problems intellectually. It's good. It's not about having all the facts. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a devastating situation that there's no easy answer for. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's, that's well said. And, and so I think for the person that, again, whether it is, whether it's being laid off, whether it's being fired, um, uh, moving beyond the, like allowing yourself to, to heal in some way. Again, it's not heal like, it's, like it goes away. How did you word that again? It's not something that you get over, but it's something that you get through. Yes. And I think that that mentality is really good because a lot of leaders... Um, and I would have even put myself in here. I mean, it's a, it's a. Well, there's a problem. Let's let's, let's tackle it. the problem. Let's yep. fix it. Let's move on. And and so for that person that's looking at their life right now, and they're saying this thing that defined me, this job, this calling, that I'm being told at least at that place I can't do it anymore. Now I have to figure out what is what am I about? How do how am, how am I wired? How will I move forward? What is this next thing? I have seen so many people go from one church and they were laid off or fired 
Um, and, and you can go to another church. I would want someone to say that to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you will be able yes. to get back into church ministry. It's totally possible. Um, some won't. They'll, they'll make the choice, the conscious choice, and they'll say, uh, I, actually, I wanna um, go into another form of ministry or another form of leadership, and that's okay too. My big push is I don't want people to not go back into church ministry because they feel like they can't or they're disqualified or they haven't been able to get through it. Yes. For me, I think there has to be um, uh, a collective of people that are able to have these conversations in such a way that does normalize it. So we're able to say what, what you just said so well, I'm not alone. It will be okay. It's not okay now. Yes. And, and, and I will move forward. Yes. And and it, and that this moment we're not defined by the worst moments or the hardest moments. This is one of the the parts of my journey, and I love Ken what that's done in you um, in being able to really. I mean, you said just a moment ago, it, it's it's given you uh, a, another experience to connect with people, unlike what others can do. I mean, you now have a way to connect with people that um, have been let go and or or have uh, been in their minds disqualified and you're able to walk with them unlike someone that hasn't experienced that. And I love how you're using it. We're, we're going to put um, links to some of your stuff and we'll help, you know, point people your way. Cause I think what you're doing is incredibly valuable. I appreciate you taking the time to have this, what can be a very difficult, but man, it can be a very life giving conversation with us and sharing your story. Uh, I just really appreciate you. So thanks for your time today, man. Yeah. Thanks David. It's been great being with you. Awesome. Awesome. Get ready, everybody. It is now time for my absolute favorite part of this podcast. It is called Stories with Stan. Now, you don't know Stan, but you will. Stan is the co-founder of Slingshot Group, one of the best storytellers in the world. He's kind of like that great uncle that we all have that we look up to. He is an amazing influence on my life, and he's hilarious. So sit back and get ready to hear some stories with Stan. So I was in college in Illinois at this little Christian college, and uh, we were tired of me and three of my two of my buddies were tired of cafeteria food. So we decided one afternoon to go to the Holiday Inn, which that's where those were the best steaks, you know. <laughs> Take your word for it. It was right on Interstate yeah. 55, going up between St. Louis and Chicago, and the Holiday Inn. It was it was great. So we ordered big T-bone steaks and. At three o'clock in the afternoon, because there's like 20 tables and nobody's there but me and my two buddies, and we order these steaks and and uh, we didn't drink alcohol then, and uh, which it saddens me a little bit. But uh, um, so 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 uh, we're minding our own business, and uh, which I like to do. I don't want last thing I want to do in life is bother people. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the last thing. <laughs> so. Uh, we're, we're minding our own business, and they just br- began to bring our food. And I looked up, and I was speechless. And they, I could see the door. My two buddies couldn't. And I go, guys, look over there. And they turned around and looked. This was when Muhammad Ali was at his peak of his boxing career. And they go, oh. We couldn't, we didn't know what to say, you know. So he comes in, walks right to, by us, and sits at the table right next to us. And so I said to him, Muhammad, 
I never liked boxing until I watched you. And you are, I, I stay up all night watching you box, man. You're just, I just love watching you do it. That's all it took. Because he, he stood up, and my, one of my buddies was a big guy, weighed about 340, and he, he was about 6'2", so Muhammad Ali had him to stand up. Stand up, young man. And he started sparring with my, with my buddy, Jeff. And he was like just having so much fun. And uh, I introduced myself to him. So unfortunately, he, he, he passed away. And uh, there's no way that anybody can prove it right now. <laughs> well, he knows you. But he would, if, I, if I saw him at the mall right now, yeah. hey, Stan, what's up? It would be that. Because <laughs> I, you know, I made it happen. Yeah, I mean, it's not a problem. I just totally made it happen. And we're, me and Mohammed, we're, we were tight. And then uh, my buddy's lead guitar player for Neil Diamond. And uh, me and Connie went to, uh, to San Diego to see Neil Diamond a few years ago. Uh, my buddy was the lead guitar player. And uh, we met at the hotel. And Hadley, my buddy, got on the Neil Diamond buses. There's like three buses. And we follow, they said, follow us to the event. So we go through security, and uh, the three buses go ahead. And the security guard with the, you know, at the gate and stuff stops me. And he goes, you can't go in. I go, I'm, I'm, part of, I'm just part of the band. And it always works. I've been with you when it works. Yeah, it works. So he said, okay. So we, we got to go. So we, we uh, Hadley says, you can come backstage and Neil won't, Neil won't show up, you know, but the band and everybody, all the, the entourage of people. So we're sitting there and Neil Diamond walks in, gets off the elevator, walks right across the room and looks at me and Connie, says to Connie, hey, can I sit with you guys? And he was carrying a bowl of chicken noodle soup. He said, I'm having voice trouble and I can't eat all this. I mean, the spread was amazing. He said, I can't eat anything but chicken noodle soup, so can I sit with you guys? So me and Connie went, went to dinner yeah. with Neil Diamond. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and so the other thing that I know you've not ever heard about this part of the story was uh, my buddy uh, Hadley, his wife, Debbie, had never gotten a picture of Hadley on on her camera before. Mm -hmm. She wanted a picture of Hadley playing guitar, mm -hmm. you know, right up from the stage. So Hadley talked to the producer and they gave me a, a photographer's badge. <laughs> yes. Okay? And so I didn't have a camera. She had a camera, that the, a little, you know, just, you know, a $30 camera. So during, so I had the pass. So I'm walking up during the concert and there's like, 50 photographers with these cameras, like three foot lenses, and they're all like got all this gear around them. So I got my pass, and I'm sitting up there with this little Instamatic camera <laughs> taking pictures from with, of Neil Diamond. But Neil, Neil, and I were pretty tight, so sounds like it. Well, you know, I've had dinner with him, and uh, <laughs> th th that's just the way that works. Thank you for joining us this week on the Slingshot Group podcast. We invite you to continue the conversation with us on social media. You can find Slingshot Group on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, be sure to visit us at slingshotgroup.org to find out more about how we build remarkable teams through staffing and coaching. And if you haven't already, 
Subscribe to the Slingshot Group podcast so you'll never miss a show. Until next time.